you, Paul, and good morning again. Good morning. It's great to see you here today, and uh, looks like a nice day outside. Let's see if uh, the Lord has uh, something special for us today. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, as we uh, move into the fourth sermon on this particular topic of discernment. This is the fourth sermon on discernment, and I hope that you've been blessed by this series so far. And it leads into, or will lead into our um, conference, our church conference, which is coming up soon, which is about breaking down the high places. And those high places represent sin in our lives that has been there for maybe a while. Maybe it's something that we don't know how to get rid of. And discernment forms a foundation for being able to discern between right and wrong and knowing um, what's true and what isn't. Um, before we break those things down. We don't want to be breaking down the wrong things. We want to be breaking down the right things. So uh, I want to encourage you to set those days aside as well for the uh, conference. I'm sure you'll be blessed uh, through them. We have some good videos to show as well uh, from Israel, and I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be blessed by that uh, series. Okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. Oh, sorry, I've given you the wrong scripture verse. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 2. Uh, I was giving you... No, I know, no, I just put that black mark next to my name again. Here. Slipping. Yeah, slipping, I know, yeah. Matthew chapter 16, verse 2. Let's not get carried away now. There could be a whole range of reasons. Speaking from experience, exactly right. (laughs) Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky... But can you not discern the signs of the times? Let's uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. (coughs) Father in heaven, once again we come before your awesome throne and we just thank you for the grace that you've given us to, Father, be saved. Father, to have this word in our hands and understand it. To be given the spirit of God. To be given an eternal home with you. And to have an enormous amount of love that we still cannot comprehend, but we rejoice in every day. So we pray that you would give us now your understanding. Your spirit would begin to teach our hearts. And I pray that our hearts would be open to this truth because it is absolutely vital for us and for the people around us. We thank you once again that we can trust it with all of our hearts. And we pray that you'd be blessed as well in this sermon. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The ability of of people in Jesus' day to be able to forecast the weather... By looking at the natural by their natural surroundings, was much better, or is much, or was much better than our ability to be able to discern weather like that today. Would you agree with me? I'm not saying that they were able to forecast better than a phone, um, or by the Bureau of Meteorology, who can predict things and then they know what cyclones are coming through and what highs and lows are coming through and stuff like that because they have satellite pictures. But the the, the ability of people to be able to read the times 
and they needed to in those days because their farming depended on it. So they had a, a more natural, they were more connected to the land, they were more connected to the, to the, um, to the seasons and those sorts of things. They knew instinctively, in, in essence, um, the decisions they had to make because wrong decisions affected them uh, in, many, in, in many ways. Um, today we sort of, you know, we don't have to worry about looking at what the temperature or the, or the weather might be tomorrow by looking, you know, looking out and trying to, trying to gauge what's going on and predicting, you know, 24 hours ahead of time. We have a phone, we pick it up, it tells me what the weather's going to be today or we can, we can look at it a few days in advance, although they still mess it up big time anyway. So um, you have to always take that with a grain of salt. But the people in Jesus' day had, had a much better understanding of how to discern, on, on how to make a prediction about something, on how to, how to look at something and actually say, this is true, this is not, or this means something else. Okay? We lack that ability today. We are so insulated, um, we, we have lost a lot of that natural ability because technology has replaced most of it. Machines have replaced most of our ability to be able to do that. Um, in poorer countries, they still have that ability because it's vital for them to know those things. So Jesus was telling the people of his day, and it was a rebuke for them. He calls them hypocrites because he says to them that they had a fantastic sense of how to predict the weather based on the, the circumstances they saw in front of them, but they had no ability to be able to, to discern what was going on spiritually in front of them. Their ability to be able to discern the weather was good, but their ability to be able to discern spiritual things was very, very bad. They could not, for instance, see that the person that was standing in front of them was the promised Messiah, even though they had it written down for them many, many years before. They could not discern that John the Baptist was the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus, even though he said he was that man. They were blind to these truths. They should have been able to discern them because that's, they had the word of God. They had it read to them. They were, they were going to their synagogue. They were being taught by their teachers on a regular basis. But they didn't. So when it comes to man's connectedness to the earth, there seems to be, and in our case, connectedness to technology, which is still the earth, there seems to be a much better result than man's connectedness to, to spiritual things and from the messages God is sending. In similar fashion, Jesus rebuked his own disciples, the men that were with him, that he chose, for not recognising the great need to spread the gospel. There was an enormous need, he said to them, and they weren't seeing it. They were not discerning enough to recognise the absolute need that was staring them right in the face. And he says in John chapter 4, verse 35, Say ye not there are the, sorry, yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus is telling his own disciples, discern the times and respond appropriately. That's what discernment is all about. And we are similarly called to be the discerners of our time. 
We are called to be the discerners of our time. What is happening in our society? What is happening in the church? What is happening in our own lives? And where am I going as a person? We need to be people that discern, that look at the signals, the telltale signs of of something going either off course or being in the wrong place and doing something about it. I mean, the the Word of God is is a typical example of the signs of our times, which we have failed to discern, or the majority of the churches have failed to discern. We have an unbelievably good translation in the authorised version. Yet there are hundreds of other translations coming out all the time. Now, what would that be, you wonder? Why, if, if there is a, a perfect translation that is taken from the majority text, are there constantly new versions coming out? It's because there's people making money off of those versions. Because every new version that comes out, there's someone selling it to someone else. And the whole facade of, oh, we want to make it more readable, is lunacy. God's word is not a comic book to be read. God's word is not a newspaper. God's word is it. It is the eternal, unchanging word of God. And the most important thing when it comes to having a translation in your hands, it's not readability. Because in readability, I lose perfectness. I lose clarity. I lose understanding. There is a trade-off. But yet our world is pushing more and more that way. And every new version that comes out is dumbing down more and more and more. The majority of churches do not have congregational members that bring their Bibles into church at all. Because you know why? Because the, the, there is such a variety of Bibles out there that if someone's reading the NIV and someone's got a New King James and someone's got an RSV and the other one's got, got, a, got a, something else or a message, if someone puts a verse up on a wall, it's all different. You can't even read it. You can't even read like we do in the morning. We read the same words together as a church. You can't do that anymore in modern churches. You can't read it. The other problem with that is you can't even hold the pastor accountable for what he's preaching. Because if someone hasn't got a Bible, which is your standard, to to measure that person against, then that person can go off on any tangent and any any doctrinal error that he likes. He can stick to any bandwagon and and jump on anything that he likes. And he can find verses that will agree with him from all the different versions. And it's often the case in modern, in modern uh, churches that you see the pastor referring to um, verses from different versions in the same sermon. Now, why would you need that? <coughs> Unless you were looking for things that agree with what you believe in rather than what the word actually says, you see. That is a particular sign of our times. It's never existed this way before. Since the late 1800s, the attack on the Word of God has been on multiple fronts. And we are only one of a very few churches that still hold to this particular version. The rest have all gone a particular way. And as you know, the the other sign of our times is the type of worship that we find in these churches. Now, why would you have a rock and roll band and rock music in a church? Let me ask you that question. 
Is that what God ordained? Is that what God wants? Or is it a way to get youth and young people into a church and entrap them with it? Because it feeds the flesh. I know which one it is. And when you put the word of the, the degradation of the word of God and you put the degradation of worship and then you put the, the, the throwing out of doctrine as an important thing in, in churches, you have a recipe for what? A club? What, what, what's, that, what's the result of that? These are the signs of our times. This is what's happening around us. And we need to be aware of these things. God calls us to be aware. We have been called as the children of God to be the discerners of what's going on in our society, in our churches, in our technology. Because technology is unbelievably affecting the lives of people around us and, and everything that goes on. Now, I'm not saying technology is wrong. What I am saying is... Are we discerning enough to be able to be careful about where it's taking us and the decisions we're making for our own lives? The Bible says, and there's a reason for it, the Bible says, be sober and be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, you know how he does that? He uses the world to devour people and the things in the world. Discernment requires, on our part, diligence. It requires practice. It requires effort. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Now, that is, that's, that's being able to, to dig out the deeper truths of the word of God. It says, But even those who by reason of use had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You will not be able to discern good and evil unless you exercise those senses that God has given you. The problem is, or you might say, you might protest, but I'm not a full age yet. I've only been a Christian for a short time. Or I haven't had a chance to develop this skill. Or maybe I've wasted a number of years of my life. Now what happens to me if I really want to become serious about it? Well, the good news is the Bible tells us once again, according to Peter, according in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, to that specific verse, because I'd like us to understand something very important. We have absolutely no excuse not to. To be discerners. Second Peter chapter one verse three. So Second Peter one verse three says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Now is that all things or some things or a few things? That is all. All things that we need that pertain to life and godliness, God has given to us through his divine power, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. The knowledge of Christ is the foundation for everything else. In fact, that's what God calls us to, to a deepening level each and every day of our lives, to know him, to know him more and more and more, and we get to know him through 
his word. Now today, I'm going to be sharing with you, because we're speaking about discernment here, the ability to be able to choose between right and wrong and choose the, the, the right. The ability to be able to choose between sin and righteousness and choose righteousness. This is what we've been called to every day. I liken this to God creating light in the beginning. And when the Bible says when God created light, he separated it from the darkness. Did he not? Well, that's what we've been called to in our lives. Because in our lives, for those of us who have been saved out of the world especially, you know what's lurking inside. You know what's already there. You've experienced it. So the Bible says that for those of us who recognize the depths of, of the world, the Bible says that the time has come when you get saved to start separating those things and choosing the right. Separate the light from the darkness in your own heart. There are four things that help us to become these discerners. There are four things we're looking at today that will help us to become fantastic discerners, good discerners. And if you want holiness and you want a life of joy, then these are the four things that will help you be to become a good discerner. And if you are a good discerner, you will be walking in the right direction. Okay? The first one, the first thing that God has given us to become or a resource for us to be good discerners is the, guess what? The Word of God. That's the first thing God has given us to become good discerners between right and wrong. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. It says there, this is Paul, Paul's exhortation to Timothy. He says in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, the word of God has an inherent ability to be able to give us something and make us something. The Bible says the word of God here is able to make us wise. It's able to make us wise. And that first step of wisdom, it says, it's able to make us wise enough to realize that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing it'll make you wise enough to do. That's why the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God will always point you to Jesus Christ. And the first sign of wisdom on a person's part is that they recognize that Jesus is the solution for their sin. He is the gift of God who was given to us. He is the only saviour of this world and I need him. And if I don't accept his gift, I am in big trouble. The first sign of wisdom is the Bible tells me that I am a sinner before God and I have been in rebellion all of my life against him. I have treated him as an enemy. He hasn't treated me as an enemy. I've treated him as an enemy. And deep down, I don't want to be under him. I had an interesting discussion with a, with a university professor one day when I'd first become a Christian. And he, and he made a comment to me and he said, 
And I was sharing my faith with him. I don't know in wonder what circumstance it was, but I remember we're sitting in his office and I looked up to this fellow. He was a much older man. He knew physics that I would never, ever understand. Okay. And I said to him, I've become a Christian. And I've, I've actually understood that there's a personal God who actually loves us, has created the universe and wants a relationship with us. And his response to me was, and I remember, I'll never forget it. He said, he said, no, I, ha- I would have more respect for a God who created the universe and then pulled away just to watch it. Now, why would you have more respect for a creator who made us, who made the universe and life and everything in it, only to pull back and make himself unattainable or untouchable? I'll tell you why. It's because it comes from people who don't want a relationship with God. His underlying motive was not necessarily that he had more respect for a God. Because tell me something, with anything that we do in our lives, okay? if God, the Bible says, made us in his image and he he gave us a capacity to love, he gave us a capacity to be creative. He gave us a capacity to, to choose between right and wrong and reason. He gave us a, a, the same sort of things that he is, he gave to us. Now, if he made us loving creatures, tell me something. Would you, anyone who has a child, who has a baby, is not the natural instinct of a person to love that child and have interaction with it? So what sort of a God would he be to create beings in his own image only to say, I'm just going to watch you from afar now and, let, and let's see what you do? That doesn't show me. In every case that we know, a loving relationship requires interaction. For me, it's, I understood later on why he was saying that. And that's a common theme amongst intellectuals. Who say, oh no, I have, I'd have much more respect for a God who created the universe and then pulled and then stepped aside. You know why they're saying that? Because they don't want interaction with God. Because if they have to have interaction with God, if they have to be in a relationship with God and there's any love involved, you know what love requires? Yeah. Accountability, commitment, obligation. They don't want that. That's why they say it's, it's better for a God to have just created the universe and let it go. But the Bible tells us that God is very, very different to the way they want him to be. The Bible says that God created the universe because he wanted to share his love. He wants to interact. This is the message of the gospel. Man has turned away from God and because of his sin has alienated himself from God. And God said, no, 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 no. I want a relationship with you and let me prove it to you. I'll send my only son to come and rescue you. If there's any message more loving, I don't know it. I haven't seen it in any other philosophy or any other religion. That the God who created us loves us. And the Bible says that through scripture we come to understand that. And the first sign of wisdom is a person who understands their true state and understands what God's done for them and says, I want that. I want to be back with you. I don't want to be running away anymore. I want to put down my arms. I don't want to fight anymore. 
So the Bible says that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And it tells us that all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of Scripture. Yeah, there are some churches out there who don't believe in, in actually preaching from the Old Testament, who don't, even, who don't even believe in preaching from the Gospels. They only believe in preaching from the letters of Paul. You like that? But the Bible says that all Scripture is profitable for us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All 66 books in the Old and New Testament have been provided by the inspiration of God. Yes, God used men to write his exact words down. They wrote exactly what he wanted. And then he also used men to preserve those words. He used faithful men who would copy the Bible and who saw it as so precious and so important that they guarded that, that document with their lives. And there are many who gave up their lives to protect that document, the document that we enjoy in our hands today. So then it goes on to say that there are all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for four things, it says. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for doctrine. You know, it's, knowing doctrine is absolutely critical to being saved. It's absolutely critical. That's why Paul says also to Timothy, he goes, guard the doctrine. Make sure that you, you have right doctrine. Pay attention to what you're teaching because that will either lead people in the right direction or it will lead people astray. Knowing doctrine always benefits a believer. And doctrine does not finish with the gospel. The gospel is the start of doctrine, but doctrine builds. And we need to understand doctrine in order to be right. Let me give you, let me give you an analogy. There are certain, and I'm sorry I always harp on the, the physics and stuff like that, but there are laws that, that scientists have understood that nature displays over and over again. And one is the law of gravity. They know, for instance, how, how fast something accelerates towards the earth because of gravity and it's always the same and because they know that because they know that the acceleration of any object that's 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 falling towards the earth is i think 9.2 meters per second squared they know that they can predict a number of things so when they're calculating their spaceships and where they have to go and when they're trying to calculate someone falling out of a plane with a parachute or when they're, they're doing all these different things or when they're, they're looking at ballistics and they're trying to work out how, how high something will go or how far it can go before it hits the ground, all those things can be predicted because they know the acceleration of gravity. So you can predict something by a law. Well, you know something? Doctrine is like those laws. Doctrine is like those laws. Doctrine is like the, the, the force of gravity, understanding what that, what that formula is. And then because you know doctrine, you can actually make assumptions and predictions because of it. And that's true in our own lives. Okay? Doctrine is super important because without doctrine, everything else falls apart. We don't understand what God is talking about. The next thing it speaks about is it's good for reproof. Reproof means criticising something, rebuking something, telling someone uh, uh, what you're saying is wrong, either doctrinally or practically. 
So the ability to be able to give reproof rests on the word of God as the foundation for that reproof. And it, it's, it's basically saying, watch out where you're going. You're going in the wrong direction. Head back this way. The Bible allows us to do that. And that's what correction is about. Correction is offering the right alternative and saying, ha, 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 you've got that, that one a little bit wrong. This is what the right one is. So correction allows for, it's like a boat or it's like a ship that has been travelling in a particular direction and then it realises, or they realise on the ship, they've been going in a slightly wrong direction. So what they do? They do a course correction. And they turn the rudder a bit or they move their sails a bit and they start heading back in the right direction. That's what correction biblically means. It means that not only do I spot the error, but I actually am able to offer the alternative, which is the truth, and help people to move in the right direction again. And it also says, finally instruction in righteousness it's able to teach us how to build our lives with holiness and truth and righteousness the goal of these functions is to perfect us as children you and me these scriptures are able to turn us into discerning people by defining the truth for us telling us when we're wrong correcting our mistaken beliefs and teaching us what is good that's a wonderful lesson in discernment in and of itself. Why? So we can be, the Bible says, it uses an interesting word, truly. Truly, which is similar to thoroughly. Uh, so it's like a house being fully furnished with furniture. It says, it says, so our house that God has given us the foundation for isn't empty, but it's thoroughly furnished with all good works. Why? To glorify God. Not for ourselves. So being able to discern between good and evil and choosing the good means that we can furnish our lives with good works, which in the end glorify God. Remember the thing I told you? Every one of us will be judged by God one day. Every one of us. There is not one here who, who will escape judgment. We will all stand before his throne and will have to give an account of ourselves. You understand that, don't you? We'll give an account and that, if you look at your life now, is that a scary thing for you? If you had to, if you had to meet him now and then stand by yourself, because you're not going to have any friends around you, we're not going to have any, anyone else, stand before God and say, and God says, tell me what you've done. Why did you do this? And we have to give an account of ourselves for that. The Bible says we'll give an account. How will that change, maybe, the way we live? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. Psalm 19, 7. Psalm 19, 7 and verse 8 essentially reinforces what Paul was telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It changes us. It makes us wise unto salvation. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise the simple. It makes us wise unto salvation. That's exactly what Timothy was telling us. The statutes of the law are right, rejoicing the heart. It gives you peace. It gives you joy knowing these things because you know the truth. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You want to be able to see what's going on around you? You want to be able to discern what's happening in your life? Then you use the lens of the Word of God. They're like the glasses that we put on that help us to see because our spiritual vision is not 2020. Okay? Jesus was the Son of God. He was perfect in all of his ways, perfect from when he was born to when he was crucified on the cross, and he still is perfect and he still is an advocate for us even now. The Bible says that when the devil came to tempt him, what did Jesus use? To discern the truth from a lie. He used scripture. He understood. And he only had the Old Testament. He had no New Testament. He used the Old Testament perfectly to counteract the attacks of the devil. It's essential for us to understand how to use the word of God when we are faced with decisions in our lives. When we are faced with a decision between truth and error. Therefore, this book we hold in our hands is so critical. It's so important. It's so vital for us to grow as people. We need to uphold this perfect truth in our lives. And not only that, we need to make it the biggest part of our lives. It has to be the most critical thing that we hold in a physical sense in this world. It is the most important physical thing that we have. We need to spend time in it. We need to listen to it. We need to be absorbed in it. We need to study it, digest it, and share it, and learn it so well that we want to teach it. Remember someone telling me once that if you learn something well enough to teach it, that's the best way you can learn. Learn the Word of God in order to teach it. Become an expert in it yourself. Study, study it topic by topic and book by book in a way that... You feel in yourself, if someone ever asked me a question about, look, at, look, we read 25 verses of Jude, right? We read 25 verses of Jude in about five minutes. If you started with a book like Jude and said, I'm going to know that book inside out. I'm going to know why he wrote those things down. I know, I'm going to know why they, uh, they refer to different things as they do. I want to become an expert in it. So if someone ever brings up the topic of Jude, you could say, I know the answer to that one over there. You know you can do it. There is nothing stopping you from becoming an expert. And then you just keep on building on that. And the more you know, the better the discerner you will be. But doing that requires time. It requires us to prioritise the word of God first. Not second, third and fourth. Robbing time from God's word is only robbing ourselves. Okay? The second thing is the ability to reason. So the first one was the word of God. The second one is the ability to reason. God created man with an ability to reason, with the ability to think logically. But when man fell, he threw away this, uh, this ability to a certain extent and spiritually to the full extent. The wonderful thing about being born again is that God has planted a new mind within us, an ability to be able to think according to heaven's logic, not the earth's logic. 
An ability to be able to think heaven's way rather than the earth's corrupted way. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says there, but the natural man receiveth not, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So there is a distinction between the saved and the unsaved. The natural man cannot appreciate the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. But the Bible says if you've been given the mind of Christ, those things begin to make sense to you. If you've been given the mind of Christ, the Bible says, you are to use it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Use it. Use the same mind that he, that he gave us. And that mind is a different type of mind to the natural mind. We are to use it and exercise it. And the Bible tells us in many different places, there are things that say that we have to, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, prove all things. Prove all things. To prove something takes reason, doesn't it? It takes a fair amount of reason to look at something, analyse it, and then come up with a conclusion and a judgement about it. God wants us to use reason. In 1 Corinthians 14.20 it says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Don't be like children who can't properly understand all things. But the Bible says that we are to be wise. Because the Lord tells us that we have this capacity to reason, to think like him, then my exhortation to you today is to use your mind. Use your ability to be able to reason. Don't be lazy. Babies are the ones who need to have milk. Do you understand? Food that's been pre-prepared for them. We don't. Don't be lazy. Don't let other people do all the thinking for you. Not me, not anyone else. Don't let me become your mind. Don't let me be your reason. Don't just accept everything that you're told without measuring it. You know, we live in a culture that's just addicted to the quick meal, the quick answer, the quick response, the quick SMS. Everything's quick in our society, but no depth. We've lost the ability to be able to analyse and reason critically. But God tells his children, think carefully. Prove all things. Be good judges. Discern between the right and the wrong. Everyone in our society loves a quick solution for everything. A complete solution that's been already been worked out for us. And we trust everything that comes our way because it makes our life a lot easier. Isn't everyone looking to make their life easier? Everyone's looking to make their life easier. They don't want to expend any energy thinking about anything. 
So that extends to every area of our lives. We become mentally lazy. And that, that's the truth for all of us. But God says, use your mind. I've given you a mind. I've given you reason to be able to think through things for yourself. God expects us to exercise it for his glory and for our growth. We are to reply our mind to situations that are going on around us, to actions that we have done or have not done so far, to relationships and thoughts to discern whether they are good or evil. And if those actions contradict the word of God, if they contradict proper reason, then they are to be rejected. If they agree with the word of God, if they agree with proper reason, then they will glorify God every time. That is why God himself invites the entire world to the same thing. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Come now. This is God talking to the entire world. He says, Come now and let us reason together. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is what God was offering the world and is offering the world. And he's saying, let's reason this out. I'm willing to cleanse you of all of your sin. And he's saying, let's reason this thing through. Do you think that's a good offer? That's an unbelievable offer. And why does the world continue to want to try and work its own way to heaven? Because the reasoning is faulty. Because the world's reasoning is always corrupt. It's tainted with, with pride. It's tainted with sin. Every religion out there all says the same thing. That if you're good enough, you might make it into heaven. That's one complete lie. And the devil has initiated all of those to contradict this. But yet God says, come, let us reason together. I've got something I want to give you. And I'm God and I can do whatever I want. And I'm going to offer you full cleansing for all of your sins. Don't worry about all the other ones are saying. I can do this for you because I'm God. And God never lies. But there are dangers with not using the scripture properly too. You understand that, don't you? And there are dangers in, in, um, in false reasoning as well. We must avoid false and bad reasoning, such as not using the scripture as our foundation. You can't use reasoning without the scripture. If you throw the scripture on the side and then say, I'm going to logically work my way through this, uh, through this thing and come up with a solution, you will not come up with a solution because you won't have the proper doctrinal foundation for it and you'll end up in error. Some people are proud of their knowledge. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Second Timothy 3:13 says, "But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." But continue thou in the things which I was learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a holy child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise in the salvation 
through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Did you, did you see that? The people who do the deceiving of other people are themselves deceived. And where do they go? They get worse and worse and worse. They don't end up improving themselves. Once you have the wrong foundation, they're building on a wrong foundation, you are going to continue building in the wrong direction. They will continue to get worse and they will continue to deceive and they will continue to be deceived. There is, we have to be careful. And these are people who use the scriptures in the wrong way as well. So we need to be careful of that. Let's do a couple of examples here. If someone came to you and said, and you were talking, sharing the gospel, and they said to you, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. What would you say to that? Yes, he was a good teacher. He was a great teacher. But he's a lot more than that. Because if you end the statement at that, you're actually robbing all the rest of the, what the Bible teaches about him. The Bible says that he was the son of God. He was God literally in the flesh. The Bible says he was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. The Bible says so many things about Christ. So if you take one aspect of him saying, oh, he's just that, then you can reason other things through it. But you will miss the foundational stuff, which then will lead you to false conclusions. If someone came to you and said, oh, I'll get to heaven, I'm sure my good deeds outweigh my bad ones. What would you say to them? What would you say to them? Because 99% of people actually believe that. Even people in prisons believe that. That they're good enough to get into heaven. But what does the Bible say about it? The Bible says that it's not our standard that we're comparing ourselves to. Because you know something, our standard's very, very low. The Bible simply says that for you to enter into heaven, into God's house, that's his standard you have to, you have to conform to. How about this one? You don't need to believe in miracles to be a good Christian. What would you say to that? You don't have to believe in miracles to be a good Christian. Does that make sense, that statement to you? Sorry? We are the miracle. <laughs> There's a miracle that's happened in us. Correct, correct. The question is, though, can you possibly believe, not believe in miracles? Now, let me tell you, how can you be a Christian not believe in miracles if probably the greatest miracle that hinges, that our salvation hinges on, is the resurrection of Christ? Was that not a miracle? So if someone says, I don't believe in miracles, but can be a good Christian... Those are two contradictory terms. A God who creates the laws of nature that can't override them if he, if he wants to is not a God. He's a slave to his own creation. There are a thousand questions we could go through today and, and analyse them and say, but many of them are so obvious. And this is what discernment is all about. Most of the things that, that we discern are very obvious. But there are many in that grey sort of shaded area that seem to make sense that we need to apply ourselves to and apply the word of God. And the better we know the word of God and the better we're able to reason and use the mind of Christ, the better result we'll actually get at the end of it. You know, the people, things people say are often loaded with other meanings today as well. The terms that we are used to 
are being slowly redefined through the, through the days and the years to mean other things. So we're constantly finding ourselves on shifting sand when it comes to being able to um, argue these things. The enemy is continually redefining things in order to complicate life. But the Bible says we had to sharpen our minds. We had to exercise them so we can discern those things and, and spot out the falsehoods so we can actually argue properly. Let's go to the third one, godly counsel. Godly counsel. Turn to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. It says there, hear, ye, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord sh- that shall stand. Okay? Hear counsel. Hear it. Counsel is s- a- a- advice that someone else gives you in order to help you achieve or understand something more clearly. Okay? Preaching, if you look at preaching, it's in essence counselling. I'm trying to counsel you to understand the word of God better that you might apply it to your own lives and actually grow more holy and grow in the faith. Counsel and instruction helps, the Bible says here, make a person wise. There is a need for counsel. Any counsel that originates with the Lord and in his word is necessary because it says in this particular passage there are many devices in a man's heart. Many devices. I'm not talking about mobile phones. I'm not talking about electronic devices. It's talking about devices that ensnare and trap. So man's own heart has many devices within it. And the counsel of God is what's necessary to overcome those devices. In similar fashion, Jeremiah 18.12 says, And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will, everyone, do the imagination of his own evil heart. That's what people said. That's what people say. That's what our culture says today. That we're going to follow after the imagination of our own heart. My heart says this. Yeah, if it feels good, do it. That's not true every time. In fact, it's true very rarely. The other, the other aspect of it, apart from our heart being full of devices that actually are trying to ensnare us again, which is our old flesh, the Bible says that um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that the devil has devices, and lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we, are not, we should not be ignorant of those devices. The devil has devices to ensnare and entrap. As Christians, we are, we are in a constant war on two fronts. On two fronts. We are, the, the first front is the evil nature still lurking inside of us that we are battling to keep suppressed. The other, uh, the other uh, uh, front is the devil and the world trying to infiltrate and trying to change the way we think. But if we seek after godly counsel, 
we stand a much better chance of overcoming these devices both within and without. That's why the Lord has us meeting in and being part of a church. You see, people say, I don't need the church. Yes, you do need the church. Because godly counsel is found in the church. If you're by yourself, you have just knocked off one important resource for you. And if you think you can do it on your own, you're probably filled with pride and you probably don't understand the word of God at all. If we seek after godly counsel, we stand a much better chance of overcoming these devices both within and without. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that, that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You may come across situations where you aren't so sure about how to apply a biblical doctrinal principle to your own life and are having trouble reasoning through it on your own. In that case, someone else's experience and counsel may be of immense value to you. And there are certain things we know how to do very easily. You know, I can chew gum and walk at the same time. Not to think about it. I can put one foot in front of the other and I can be chewing gum without tripping over my feet. I've tried it a few times. It's okay. I can do it. There are certain things in our Christian walk that become that simple to do. You can walk one foot in front of the other in this particular direction. You can chew gum. You can, you can wave someone hello without tripping over yourself and making a fool of yourself. But there are certain things in our lives that become a bit more complicated. And where someone who has experience in those things can actually guide us along and help us. You know, if someone... Look at someone like Philip Parker, right? <laughs> who has a wealth of experience. Now, don't laugh because he's, he's got a wealth of experience in... in um, uh, in what? Hedge trimming. Hedge trimming, okay. <laughs> hedge trimming. Um, okay, let's put the hedge trimming to the side for the moment. But Philip Parker has a, a lot of experience in, uh, in manual things, yeah, looking after trees and, and, and building things that I do not have. You know, if I was building a shed or something like that, Philip Parker might be the guy I go to to give, to give me some experience or to give me counsel on what to do because I've never, if I've never done it before. I'm probably going to build it upside down. But if he's done it before, if he knows about these things, if he knows about stuff that he's had experience in, then isn't it smart to ask someone who's been there before? And this is what counsel is all about. That we go to people who have been there before, who, have, who know and have experience in it, and we shouldn't be afraid to ask. We shouldn't be too proud to go to them and say, listen, I don't know this. Can you help me with this? If we do it naturally, we should be able to do it with the Word of God, shouldn't we? And we should be able to do it with spiritual counsel. Okay? Practically, it's easier and faster and safer if we have someone walking alongside us along the way, isn't it? Than to be walking ourselves and trying to blaze a new path everywhere we go. Sometimes the path has already been done. Reinventing the wheel over and over and over again is a stupid exercise if the wheel has already been made. And this is what seeking counsel is all about. I am sure that if you were to reflect on your own life, that every, every one of us has benefited 
from some person's wise counsel in the past. And every one, every one of us has stories of regret where we were given advice, where we were given counsel, and we chose not to take it, and then we fell flat on our faces. Now, this is the story of biblical counsel. Okay? And we shouldn't let pride, fear, of ridicule stop us from asking the question. But there's also dangers. There's a danger to all of these things. And one of the dangers is going to someone who's not experienced, going to someone who's not mature, who maybe makes themselves out to be mature, but they're not necessarily mature, who doesn't have a track record of being able to do these things properly. So the Bible tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's a, there is a, we have to be careful about who we go to to receive counsel. Because sometimes the, the counsel that's flying around is not all good counsel. Okay? But it's the same thing as the Word of God. Not all Bibles are the Word of God. Okay? You need to be discerning with that one. You need to be discerning with the way you use reasoning. You need to be discerning with who you go to to actually get counsel from. Okay? But we need to look at that as a resource. And finally, the last one is the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. We have a distinct advantage. We have a distinct resource that we often don't utilise, and that is the Holy Spirit of God that's been given to us when we're saved, and he is there to guide us into all truth. There is a, uh, there is a story here where Elijah uh, goes to meet the Lord, and he, experienced, he has a few experiences, and, and we, I want to just take something out of this for you. 1 Kings 19.9 says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and brake in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, the thing I want to share with you today, you know, often people are waiting for some sort of lightning bolt, some crack of thunder to, to do something as a sign from God. Do you know something? God doesn't speak with massive things. He doesn't speak with tornadoes and fires and earthquakes. He doesn't normally give us those type of signals, sorry. Because he taught a lesson to Elijah and he said, Elijah, listen for my still small voice. Which means 
Elijah, you need to be quiet enough to hear me. And that is so true for us. Because the Bible, has, the Bible says we've been given the Spirit of God. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And the, but the Spirit is difficult to hear among the many loud voices around us. But He can speak to us if we're willing to listen. If we're willing to look at the Word of God, and He can speak to us through that. He also helps us to reason properly. He can also direct us to the right counsel. He can help us to understand scripture. He can help us to even share our faith with other people. Very often the Holy Spirit speaks to us by bringing to our mind the scriptures that we have learned or by revealing how to apply a scripture to certain circumstances. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In John 16.13, it says also, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That's true for us. If, you ha if you're saved this morning, you have the Spirit of God living inside you. You are possessed in a very, very good way. You are possessed by the Spirit of God. And you cannot be possessed otherwise. You cannot be possessed with the devil. Because when the Holy Spirit lives inside this place, the devil cannot live there. Because, the, the, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he speaks to us in a still, small voice. But we will only hear if we spend the time and quiet ourselves to listen to him. Some people say they are led by the Spirit to do certain things. And we find them going off in all different types of tangents. But you know something? If it's genuinely from the Spirit, if the Spirit has definitely told you to do something, it will never contradict the Word of God. Never, ever, ever contradict it. It will never twist it. It will always be consistent with it. Okay? It will never contradict reason either. It won't contradict reason. Or something that's reasonable as well. So remember when, you're, when you hear from the Spirit of God, it will always reinforce what you're learning in the Bible. It will never diminish what you're learning in the Bible. Because even John, 1 John says for us to try all the spirits. Okay? There, is a, there is a need for us to be discerning in that as well. But in order to hear the Spirit of God, we have to remain humble and obedient. Because God gives grace to the humble and resisteth the proud. The grace that God gives us is the ability to hear the Spirit. He opens up our ears to be able to hear what he's teaching us. Now, are you going to hear an audible voice? No, you're not going to hear an audible voice. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to sense something which the world cannot sense and the world does not understand. So these are the four things that God has given us. The sermon is not something we have to do on our own. It's something we have resources that we can go to to help us do these things. We are not alone in this. But the choices are ours. The choices we make are ours. They're not God's. God doesn't force us into anything. The choices we make are ours, so make them well. We have at our disposal the Word of God, 
the ability to reason, godly counsel and the Holy Spirit. Discernment is possible. It's expected. It's an obligation that we have. And it, can, and it should go into every area of our lives. There are too many bad choices made each and every day which cause too much pain and suffering and sin as a result. Make a decision to become an expert discerner today. Make the decision and say, God, I want to be a proper discerner. I want to choose the right from the wrong. I want to separate evil from my life and sin from my life. I want to do the things that you want me to do. Give me the grace to do it today. Start small. Don't expect to go big. Discern the smaller things and tick them off when you get them right. God will give you bigger and bigger things to do as time goes on. Remember, trusting in Jesus is the foundation for this whole thing. Trusting in Jesus means trusting in his word. Receive Christ if you haven't received him yet and begin your journey of discernment. If you haven't known Christ, or if you don't know if you're going to heaven today, the first thing that you need to discern is your situation, that you are in danger of hellfire and that you will be judged for your sin. But God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Accept God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Saviour. And once you've received him as Lord and Saviour, then grow in him. Grow closer to him, grow more in the knowledge of him, and rely on his word in all things. God bless you. Thank you.